Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. He starts off with, everybody wants to be like you. They want power and praise like you. But there is no God like our God. There is none like you. And he goes on throughout the song, and it is this pointing to God being incomparable, but how everyone wants to be in his category and can't. But somehow I think we, as we move along in life, many times, even like a predecessor, Job, we begin to forget that we're in two different categories. See, you would never, I know today is the start, well, actually Thursday was, but today is the full start of the NFL season. People are waiting to get home to watch games and all, but you would never put a peewee league football player lined up beside an NFL lineman and say, go to work. You would never put that five-year-old starting out against that 25-year-old, you know, 6'4", 275 pounds. Why? We would never dream of it. They're in two different categories. And even that doesn't compare between the categorical difference with you and I and God. So this whole notion of God being unable to be compared, incomparable, this notion is one that we must embrace as we read Scripture, as we talk with God, as we live under him, as we journey in him, we must understand the God in whom we claim to serve is not like us, and yet we are in ways made like him. But he reminds us throughout Scripture, there are different points and places where he reminds us. You'll hear me revert back to Job because there's a whole lot more than the guy who suffered a lot and God put him in his place at the end. There's a lot more than that. God is revealing to us some things that will help us as we journey through life. When we are tempted to look at God with the side eye and go, do you know what's going on? Oh, I'm guilty of that. Do you know what you're doing? I don't quite understand that one with a tone of, you need to help me understand. We are all going to go through, if you haven't already, live long enough, we are going to go through periods and times where we will be tempted to form that question. As I've had people say, uh, as I had people that have said to me, you actually let those words form on your lips. But we're going to be tempted at times that thoughts in our heads will come out in words on our lips 
to where we believe we have the right not to ask God a question because you can. God is not against that. But to question the character of God because we're sinfully frail humanity, we're going to do that. And in his word, he gives us time after time after time to see who he is with the intent and the end goal is that we respond understanding who he has revealed himself to be. So this morning, two things I want to look at. Sister Melanie, thank you for that. We did not talk um, before, and their song choice at the end about the Lord being holy, and that phrase, the triplet, holy, 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 as we know, comes from Isaiah, and that we'll be looking at that this morning, we'll be looking at two things about the Lord. Incomparable is the series. This morning, we'll be looking at he is and is holy. And for those that think that I made a mistake grammatically, I did not. I could say he is holy, yes. But I'm saying that he is, that he exists, and he's holy. And before you tune me out and say, oh, my gosh, here we go, one of those messages, go hear about the holiness of God. And when we think of holiness, we kind of have a picture in our mind. We think many times, folks that I've talked with, holiness is that drab thing that God expects that kind of ruins the party, puts the water on the fire. There is no fun in that. It's just like you just got to grin and bear it. Holiness, holiness, come on. And we, we don't realize that at the very center, at the center of God's character, how he reveals himself, and, even, and, and you see it throughout Scripture, after he reveals who he is, he reveals who he is and how he is. And that holiness is critical because it will govern how we both live under him, if you're a child of God, and approach him. And so this morning, I'm going to start with a very familiar scripture. I'm going to be looking at several, but we're going to start with, we're going to start with Genesis 1.1. He is. He is what? He is first, and we will also look at that he is creator, but he is. We see this, and we've heard this already before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not just a statement of, of, of how what we see around us exists. Understand, too, the context and the time in which it was written. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us quite a bit about, let me put this here, quite a bit about his character, his person, who he is. Number one, in the beginning. Wow. When time began, God already existed. See, he says, in, 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 in the beginning, what we know as time, when it was started, when the watch began, the one who started it already existed. 
must remember that. In the beginning, God. Now, why? Because it states for us this, infor- this, this, this really important fact that he has always been there. You say, well, we know that, duh. There are many times we act as if he hasn't. We act as if he came on the scene after us. We act as if somehow he didn't quite understand things until I made it clear to him. In the beginning, God, I had one of my children one time ask that, 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 that great question, where did God come from? When did God get here? And I had to say, wrong question. See, I said, we think like that because we have a beginning. So we will always ask beginning questions. Always. Why? Because you and I had a beginning. There was a time in which we did not exist. And so, and then we were brought into being. And so we ask beginning questions. But when you are not of the category of him who always existed, that makes no sense. And so, I had to say, wrong question. I said, you asked that question because we have a beginning. God was always there. And of course, you get the look and the stare. What do you mean he's always there? That doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't. He's in a different category. He was always, time was started by him. And so in the beginning, the one who started time, and notice Genesis does not start trying, and we've heard this before, trying to prove his existence. It just states it because it was obvious by what you saw around you. Sin, of course, marred that and turned it in against God, but that in the beginning, God, and not just that, understand in that time when this was written, there were people that believed in all kinds of gods. Understand that there were people that believed that gods struggled with humans. They fought against one another. That gods had to make sure they kept their power, and it was written in the beginning, God. They'll say, what God? God. See, it was believed also about gods that they could get angry, and some can even be obliterated. Lesser gods. And so it was making the statement of fact that in the beginning of time, This deity and being that always is had the power to do something, which is what we see all around us. In the beginning, God created. He made, as we know, something from nothing. And what he created never existed before, never was around, never was thought of, And you have to understand that level of power. Guys, I know this seems, okay, wow, he's really up there with it. No, really I'm not. The issue just is that we have to remember as we go before God and as we begin to trust him for the everyday things of our lives, understand that when time was started, he was the one that started it. 
When things were created, he was the one that created it. Why is that important to me? Because anything else after that, boy, he can handle everything. And I forget that. I act as if God hadn't done a whole lot for me. I act as if, oh, come on, man. I, I'm going I'm to I'm compare you to the dude down the street who just built this marvelous wood cabinet. He's a wonderful carpenter. What have you done lately, God? And he wants us to, every day, we look around us and we see the craftsmanship of God. He didn't just create. He was a craftsman. Because we don't just see random things. You ever go to an art gallery and they want you to interpret the randomness of the art? You know, with the splotches on the wall and put the handprint in it and maybe you put something else up and, and they say, do you see it? Do you see the thought? And I'm saying, I see chaos. Or I see you ran out of time. And there may be some artistic expression to that. I'm not going to put that down. But understand, when we look here, it wasn't just random acts. This was God now at work crafting. It was him putting things in the place. It was him setting the stars. Let me read something to you guys. I came across this this week. On August 20th, 1977, Voyager 2 the interplanetary probe launched to observe and transmit to Earth data about the outer planetary system. Set off from Earth traveling faster than the speed of a bullet, 90,000 miles per hour. That's fast. On 28th of August, 1989, it reached planet Neptune in our solar system. 27 million miles from the Earth. Voyager 2 then left the solar system. It will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. Safe to say none of us will be here. In our galaxy, there are 100 million stars like our sun. That's a fact. In a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us he also made the stars. That's power. See, what God is wanting us to understand is all of this that we're like just now finding out, he did in that phrase, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And yet, God, I'm questioning what you're doing. I, you, you, you have to answer me because, ah, uh, I don't believe he's all that. Ah, oh, come on, guys. God, really? And I'm looking at this, and I was just amazed. And just our solar system, amazed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what he also did with that. God also set himself as 
powerful, as completely sovereign, as a creator and a craftsman. But here's what he did above all. He set himself as unique and in a category all by himself. And that's what he wants us to remember with that Genesis account. I am in a category all by myself. And so as we approach God, we don't have to approach him as if we can't talk to him. He's made it possible. That should cause you and I to shout that through Christ, this God of creation of Genesis 1-1, you can bow in humility and pray to at any time of the day knowing he hears you. He knows when you have need of. He knows when you need healing, when you need supply, when you are hurting. He knows that that loved one is in their last days. I remember the day, and it was freeing, that I was struggling with the death of my mom. Oh, man, I think I was in those first, that first year or two. I think it was the next year because... Because our daughter was born the year after she passed away, and, and, and that was always bittersweet. I will never forget sitting in the dark. My wife walks in to our house at the time, and I was holding Julia, who just had a birthday this last week. I was holding her in my arms. She was within a month of being born, and I'm sitting there in the dark because I'm excited for my first child, our first child, our daughter, and I'm sad at the same time that the mother that I loved will never on this earth see her. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally struggling and wrestling with that emotion back and forth. Levette walks in and says, are you okay? I said, I will be. And then I remember talking to the Lord, God, I, why on earth would you take her? And a thought came to my mind ever so gently and strong. You act like she didn't need a savior. You act like she was sinless. Because I kept going on about how great she was and how much of a godly woman. I'm telling this to the Lord. I'm telling this to the one who saved her. I'm sorry, to the one who created her, to one who allowed her to grow up into a woman, the one who Jesus died for, who came to faith in Christ and grew and, and had to learn to let go of sin and to trust God and to raise her family as best she knows how and was looking forward to that day when she would meet her Savior face to face. And yet I was saying, God, how could you, why would you do this? And that thought was ever so freeing. It was... You act like I owe her. And man, it helped, and it still does today. 24 years later, it helps. No, it doesn't lessen the hurt. It helps because it helps you to move forward with your hands wrapped around God. He is unique in his own category. Next one is God. So God, God, in essence, revealed his existence. He is. And then the next one is that God revealed his character. And we get it in Exodus. And we get it in a way. And we get it in different places. Exodus 3, 1 and 6. Turn there. Leviticus 19, 2. Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. We get it in different instances. But the first one that we have here is with Moses. And how God reveals himself. 
And chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock, excuse me, to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. And that is that whole, whole notion throughout time of God calling to us. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God introduces himself. He gets his attention. I love that because the Lord has done that with all of us. He got our attention one day. And then when he had our attention, whatever that event was, from that he calls out to you to come to himself. And as you come, he says, wait, mm, you're unholy and I'm holy. There's that different category, God, but I'm calling you to me. You need to do something first to approach me. And now we know today for us to be able to approach God, it is in Christ that we could come to him now. We are made holy through Christ. But he says, he says, take off your sandals. And there's a whole lot to unpack with that. Start coming to Bible study. When we start it, we'll start unpacking some of that about the incomparability um, of God and his holiness. We'll get into it deeper where we can't during a Sunday morning service. And so he comes, he does what God says and approaches him according to God's rule and God's way. He didn't come anyhow. Why? God reveals his character. What is his character? He is holy. He is free. He is separate from evil and he is free from evil and he is free from impurity. And so he says, he says, I want you to approach me. But boy, you must know who I am first. Do we understand who God is? Do we understand what holiness means? He expects people to approach him knowing his flawless character. Turn to Leviticus 19. And we know that one. We've read it many a times. I'll start with verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. If I am to be your God, you must know what your God is like. So that's why it makes no sense for people that want to live unholy, impure lives by intention to claim and to try and embrace God. He says you can't. 
Yes, he makes provision for our sin. Do you want to know? And, and I've read this in several places. A lot of people that choose not to believe in God do it not because the evidence isn't there. They choose not to believe not because they can't see that he is and that he proves his existence with all that surround, that if I believe in a God, a real one, now I am accountable to someone. And I don't want there to be a God because I don't want to be accountable. I want to live as I want. And so the only way I do that is to say you don't exist. Only problem is that he does. That's like saying gravity doesn't exist. I don't want it to exist. Go on and step off that building, and you will be reminded that belief never changes truth. Belief never changes truth. People say, I don't believe that. Okay. I don't believe he's God. I don't believe that that's true. I don't. Okay, problem is, it doesn't change the truth. Hey, guys, if I have a million bucks, and I don't, if I did and, and none of you believed it, I would leave here and go spend my million while you were in disbelief. And when you saw me later and I began to display the signs of it, you might begin to agree that I exist. I mean, that I am wealthy. Okay. Or a millionaire. Not, uh, don't know if a million will make you wealthy anymore. But the issue just becomes truth. I mean, belief never changes truth. Please, people, those of you who engage our world and society, people think that they'll shut an argument down when they say, I don't believe it. And, and, and my response is, okay. I, I, that's your choice. But here are some facts. Here are some things that have been seen and proven. Here are some, here's a confidence I have, uh, and I just don't believe in this like it's the tooth fairy. God has given me enough uh, that trusting him is not a huge step. Oh, it takes faith, but as you've probably heard before, it takes a whole lot more faith to claim God does not exist than to believe and embrace that he does. So he is holy. Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, I'm, not getting into, I'm, I'm going to read it but not get into it heavily. Once again, in study you can. Isaiah talks about when he saw the Lord and what the angels did and said regularly, as a matter of fact, they're doing it right now. They constantly call back and forth to one another as they are over the throne, those burning ones, seraphims, that's what it means, those burning ones that are over the throne with six wings. And I know we've had angels made into cartoons, so we don't think of them as these intimidating beings. But when you ever see a six-winged individual deity flying, you will be, I guarantee you, impressed. Impressed. 
And their whole point over the throne is calling back to one another this triplet, which means it is deeply fact that he is holy back and forth over the Why did God give us that picture? What's the point to that? For us to sing it in a song? For us to say, yeah, yeah, holy, 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 yeah, we know, Lord God Almighty. Why did he give us that scripture in Isaiah? So that we would know his character. And that in knowing it, it would be a marker for us as to how we live. The God that you claim to be under and around is perfectly pure and blameless. Everything he does is pure, is just, is right, is good, everything. And because of that, he is incomparable. And here, here is our response. I love it too. Let's just read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. I love just the picture that God gave him once again. I am above you. I am in another category from you. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And you see this picture of the awesome, terrible greatness of God and Isaiah's response is what ours should be. And you know, we would see that and go, eh, I've seen better. No, you haven't seen that. Because the moment you do, you and I are like Isaiah. What did he do? He said in verse 5, and I said, woe is me for I am lost. See, what he was saying was when he saw the goodness, the perfection, and the greatness of God, he saw himself and said, I'm not that bad. No, I am lost. Oh, my goodness. When you get a glimpse of God in Scripture and you embrace it and you believe it, you get a view of yourself that you go, God, help me. You don't go, yeah, but God, I got a couple of questions for you. See, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I believe the problem is for many of us, is that God is not great enough in our eyes. We don't see him as he's revealed himself to be, and thus we treat him that way. We come to him that way. We believe him that way. Where is it? I've read this and I believe it. Doubt is that place where... You either don't understand or you, or, or you believe you understand, and in your understanding, you've lowered God to your level. That is the place of doubt in an area of your life. God, I'm having a problem trusting you here. 
okay, where in that area have you taken down God from this picture in Isaiah to the one you currently have? Where? Because that's when you begin to doubt. See, when God is like me, you better doubt. When God is like you, you better doubt. But when God is like this picture in Isaiah, when God is like the picture in Exodus, when God is like the picture in Leviticus, and I can keep going on with Scripture, when God is like any of those pictures, your response begins to be different. Oh, it doesn't mean you don't hurt. But it sure means that you have a good perspective. Let's go back to Joe's as we, as we close this out. I was going to get on he is incomparable. We don't have time for that today. We'll continue that as we continue our series. When he gets to Job, we see once again in, in, in actually 36 that God begins to come to him and God asks him a series of questions. Understand this. Job had been asking God questions and they sent him around, you don't answer me. You don't come to me. You, 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 you're not saying anything. Does that sound familiar? Do we do that? I know I do. God, you're not, I, I want an answer and help me. You're not saying anything. And then we begin to read our resume and God, I've, I've done this and I've given up this. And we start talking about all that we gave up and all that we've done. And I love what God, God, when he calls out to Job, he says to him, I have questions for you. See, Job had questions for God, and God did not answer them. He said, I have questions for you. And in essence, when you answer them, then we'll. But God knew the questions he was going to ask Job were unable to be answered. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Why? Because the one you are dealing with, the one you are trusting in, you should not be able to completely understand. If you do, then guess what? You're God. And so what he says to you and I, be comfortable with the lack of understanding, but knowing and understanding what he has revealed. Because what he has revealed is for you and I to have a response based on it. And so he says to us, look, I am incomparable. You want me to be. When you are faced with that life-threatening illness, you want me to be incomparable. Not just because, oh, he's going to heal all of us. Because we all forget something many times in that God will heal me all the time in everything I ask for. We're going to die one day, aren't we? Aren't we? I read and it was stated, Lazarus was raised from the dead and still died again. All the people that Jesus healed in Scripture died. Why? Because that's part of humanity. And so whatever it is that you're faced with, understand the person who you are in the person in, in God who you are dealing with, you want him to be bigger than life. 
You want him to be beyond where you are. You want him to be above your understanding because then he can deal with your issue. So the bottom line is, see God, that one he exists. Oh, he is powerful, sovereign, creator, craftsman, unique in the category by himself, and he is holy, pure, free from sin, cannot be tempted by evil, never makes a bad decision, never does anything out of spite or out of ill will, does it perfectly all the time. I know that messes with us because there is no one else like that. Exactly. There's no one else like that. Kirk's song, everybody wants to be like you. They want power and praise like you. But there is no God like our God. There is none like you. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.